0: la la to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. And I am joined today, co-hosted with a very good friend of mine, a fellow author, a freedom fighter extraordinaire, former Marine. Ah, but There's no such thing as a former Marine, right?
1: None. No Thanks, such Frank. thing whatsoever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mr. Joe Dolio.
1: What's happening, man?
0: What's happening, man? There is a very nasty rumor as we come on the air. Very nasty, unsubstantiated, uh, unconfirmed rumor that you have a fourth book out.
1: Well, I don't wanna I don't wanna beat up on on my good friend Mark Sibley, but I do know how to get a sequel out. So <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> book four no. beat out. Yeah. And uh and I'll this tell you this number- book 4 is a tad bit spicier than volumes 1 through 3 so
0: a little spicy the spice oh, yeah. must flow the
1: spice the, you must know we are literally at a point where the spice must flow this is true
0: so this one is scouting and patrolling and uh I think it's it's really cool that you took that Title, You know, very simple, very direct, very to the point, but it's also an homage to one of the coolest of the Marine Corps field manuals, um, Scouting and Patrolling, which was originally written by the late great Colonel Rex Applegate um, and was made a field manual by the U.S. Marine Corps. And kept in circulation until they they released an updated version of that uh, in the early 2000s, which um, I think it's really cool. It's really cool that you took all that that material and and brought it to the forefront, man, and and modernized it and put it. You know, in, in a relevant way, in two contexts, you know, one, for the armed and prepared citizen, obviously, um, boiling down some of these these uh, complex topics that require follow on forces that are written for conventional or semi-conventional units, uh, like, like, you know, an, an infantry column in the U.S. Marine Corps. But also you introduced biblical relevance to it all, which has got to be the cornerstone of everything we do, man.
1: I'll tell you what was so weird as I was writing it and I'm like, man, I probably shouldn't put a course on or a chapter on raids in here because, you know, that'll get me a visit at my front door. And I'm like, well, let's just see what the Bible says. So I searched, you know, Bible and raid and right in Genesis, there's a verse about, you know what, you're going to get raided, so you should raid them back. I'm like, well, that settles it. God said, put it in the book. It's in the book. So uh, pretty cool stuff. So that's, that's kind of the whole point of it, right? I wanted to take this, this, this book. The Marines took a classic by, by Rex Applegate, but they, they institutionalized it. So by the time we got around to 2000s, while it was one of my favorite manuals, I, I loved it, um, it had become tech heavy. And one of those, you know, you, you get ambushed, you, you, you either assault into it or you lay back and wait for artillery and, and a support column. And we're not going to be able to do that as uh, as civilians defending our homes or defending our local communities we're just not going to have that capability so I decided right. to make it applicable to everybody and uh, it's pretty neat stuff in there and while I go into the to the to the million different variations of ambush formations that everyone always likes to talk about the L's and the K and the V the truth of the matter is you you really only need one and that's the short line ambush variation but hey I give them all to you. So it's good stuff It's a little, like I said, a little spicier than all the others um, I mean, it's only for resisting the Chinese It's not for resisting a increasingly tyrannical <laughs> government or anything Not at all
0: Well, you know, and, and that, that actually is, is a perfect dovetail to a couple of points You know, with I, I want to get to the situation with China here in a minute But with talking about ambushing, you know, quote-unquote Security forces, because I, I label it all as security forces. Um, you know, whether that is, uh, you know, you're the receiving end of of a Russian invasion in Ukraine, or you are, you know, on the receiving end of a, a Chinese potential Chinese invasion on uh, Kinmen or or mainland Taiwan itself, uh, or you're here in America, and the way that I I see things breaking down. You know, these, these are skills you need to have. These are skills that in the early days of the United States, we had frontiersmen had it, the mountain men had it, the, you know, all, all of the guys, where did the the uh, the bulk of the fighting force of the Continental Army come from? Where did they come from? You know, were they prior service soldiers? I mean, the, the officer corps absolutely were in, in many cases, but not all cases. But where did your rank and file guys come from? And further, some of the most uh, legendary and effective uh, fighting forces were were, in fact, guerrillas and and partisans, as we would call later on. You know, General Green, uh, for sure, his his men, the Overmountain men, um, you know, North and South Carolina had had many, many examples of this Uh, light horse, Harry Lee who was Washington's right-hand man. Of course, he was the father of, of uh, legendary General Robert Edward Lee. You know, we, we see that, that a lot of times these skills, they, they were repeated over and over and over again. And with, um, you know, Robert Rogers, Major Rogers, his principles that he espoused in 1759 are exactly those of today. They're exactly the same that we need to be practicing and focusing on today. And I think that your book is really just a natural extension of that.
1: Well, and, and you know what I cover, uh, Robert's standing or major Rogers' standing orders in the book, because, um, I've always talked about from my very first book, the, the experience the U S Marines had on Guadalcanal when, when the big, the big institutional military left them behind on that Island. Uh, with, you know, about five times as many angry Japanese there. And the Marines learned a hard lesson uh, during those few months that sometimes you got to do it all by yourself with what you have at hand. And so after that experience, General Vandegrift said, you know what, if we're going to fight this war, we got to go back to the skills of of the 1700s. And by that, I mean Rogers Rangers. And he literally said, we need to go back to the skills of the French-Indian War. And so the Marines started teaching that. That's when they commissioned Colonel Applegate to write the book, uh, and that's when uh, that's when the U.S. Army Ranger School was started. So for all of you uh, all you Ranger trained guys like yourself, you have General Vandegrift actually to think for thank for bringing back the uh, the Rangers. It's appropriate because Rangers are really just soldiers who want to be Marines anyway. Um, I know how you feel about that. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I wanted now. to include it in there. It is true, Come on right? Now yeah yeah
0: i love the marine corps man i love you
1: know for for all of our technological prowess as americans and all the cool guy rifles we got it all comes down to those skills of how to get out poke around in the woods see what's out there and if you got a bigger group coming at you putting a herd on before they ever know you're there and getting out of there and uh it's actually uh I, i quote another guy a brit in the book uh ord wingate uh you 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 know who he is, everyone does. Uh oh, yeah. founded the the you know the Burma campaign. He said there's no greater thrill than to ambush the enemy, smite him hip and thigh, and then vanish into the night before they knew you were there. Uh there's no no greater thrill than that. And that's really kind of the the whole concept of of scouting and patrolling to me.
0: So. yeah, it you know the, the Burma campaign, it's interesting you bring that up because there, there's so, so many doggone lessons that from that specifically. And and Wingate, I think Wingate in, in American parlance, American uh military studies, uh military science in, in the academic realm is mostly forgotten. And that that's a big travesty because he, you know, we remember the Spartan general, of course, Bernard Montgomery, but yeah, some of the other British generals, you know, and we don't remember Bernard Montgomery for good reasons either. Um, but a lot of the other leaders that, that were actually highly effective and very good at what they did from the British Commonwealth, uh, and, and the Burma campaign, uh, the Malaya emergency was yet another one. Um, they were highly effective at what they did and, and they bear very careful paying attention to because the majority of the most populous dense areas in the United States have a, a topography that looks very close to that terrain. You know, and mm-hmm. I say that as, as looking around, I'm outdoors right now, uh, here in North Carolina and it's free jungle. Um, you know, it's hot, it's very humid here and it's a jungle outside, you know, and, and so learn to fight in the jungle. You know, we're, we're dusting off those skills yet again, the Marine Corps, uh, reactivating a school now for a few years in Okinawa and the army doing the same in Hawaii, Um, and, uh, you know, they, they stood it back up the, the jungle training center. And uh, I think that it's really good that they do that. And that's been going on for about five years now, but it might be too little too late. But what, what really is important there though, is that people are learning those woodsman fighting skills as well, because the bulk of our terrain in the United States with our most populous areas is going to look like that. And so when you're talking about fighting in a rural area, in a rural environment, which there is going to be a lot of, I mean, look at Ukraine. Ukraine's a a good example. There's urban fighting. There's also a lot of rural fighting. And and Ukraine is mostly arable farmland and plains, so that's going to look a lot like the Midwest, Um, you know, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, so on and so forth, but we, we haven't really seen a, a fight like what what's going to be unfolding in Appalachistan. and so training for that and having a reference manual specifically uh, that draws on experiences that are relevant to that environment is critically doggone important, you know. And and that's what uh, the POI for the Scout course and the upcoming Recce course as well. Uh, that that's exactly what I'm teaching, and that's exactly what the the perspective and paradigm that I come from. In building that, you know, and I, well, I think it's brilliant that you wrote this book.
1: And you know, most people think of it in, in terms of a resistance thing. But let's just be honest: even if I am just into preparedness and I'm not resisting anything, I just want to be a guy who raises my crops and takes care of my family. Uh, it, it's foolish to think you're going to live out a little house on the prairie cosplay uh, in a without rule of law environment because they're not going to let you. Um, there will be bad folks out; they're going to come and find you. And you need these skills for the day when that happens. Uh, you brought it up once before, and that's absolutely true. Is the the tradition of the American frontiersman, and that's where we need to be at that that militant farmer who was was at home uh, rowing his hoe. Or, I mean, hoeing his row, whatever it is, however you say it, get it the, get it right, Joe. Uh, <laughs> out there farming, his hoe. <laughs> he, he's, he's out here farming his land, but. When he heard that the bad bandits were on the way, he grabbed his rifle, grabbed his bag, and went out with his boys and conducted an ambush on them. Uh, that, that's where you need to be, uh, regardless of how you feel. Even if you don't feel like you want to resist anything, you still need to be able to resist the bad guys, uh, the bad elements that are going to come out there and try and take things from others. It's going to happen.
0: so. Yeah, 100% man, 100%. The the mute button was uh was acting <laughs> up just a little bit. I was like, ah, unmute. Come on. Heck, come yeah. On, out. But um yeah, it, it, you know, and and the thing to to understand is that a lot of preppers have this this uh mindset of, you know, it, it's going to be me and my family living our little idolistic life on the prairie or wherever you're at. And and it's just, you know, us against the world and the rest of the world doesn't matter or whatever. I'm going to somehow be a isolationist. And, man, I'm I'm going to be the first one to say it's not very realistic. I mean, even in the, yeah.
1: the
0: frontiersman days, you had large groups of people, right? You know, Afghanistan was a great example of this. You would have a village in the middle of a desert valley right one of the the ma- valleys in between the mountain ranges you've got a village of people and and you've got a lot of people who are living together because you need that labor okay and and you know anybody that's it's ever experienced this for real and you know outside of the internet fantasy land knows that this is true you know and and you, you there, there's you gotta sleep sometime folks and, well, and and if we look back at it,
1: history. why did human beings first start banding together? Just like you said, because there were bad folks about. It. And if you lived out in the middle of nowhere, you were going to die. So they started banding together in villages. And that's the way it is here. And people always tell me on the Internet, well, you know, my family, we got this cabin in the woods. I'm like, Yeah. So uh, you bought that house from someone, right? Yeah. So someone went there. You can't tell me no one's ever going to go there because someone went there before you decided to move there. So you're not that remote. So.
0: No, you're not that remote. And there's a high likelihood, too, that somebody in the local terrain knows that that cabin is there. I mean, yeah. You know, oh, I got a yeah. place nobody knows about. OK, well, are you from the place where this cabin is? Do you know everybody? And I'm talking about generationally. Do you know everybody? No, you don't. Oh, well, uh, you might have a problem. Just saying, you know, it, it, it's it's something to consider because somebody knows that it's there, and the, the the second that they discover it, and they say, oh hey, you know, I remember that cabin because the locals absolutely 100% talk like this. Oh hey yeah, that that cabin, yes, yeah, some wealthy people bought it. Oh and they stocked it with a bunch of stuff. I, yeah, I saw them taking it in there.
1: I saw oh, them yeah. getting the getting new solar panels put out. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Yeah, yep, it's a thing. All right. It's a thing. And so, you know, to all the people out there, I've said this many times online and, you know, in in a lot of posts and written about it. And you always get that one person who knows so doggone much that wants to speak up in a comment section or wherever. Oh, well, not at my place because I got blah, blah, blah. Yeah. okay, well. We'll see how that works out for you, because I'm telling you. I always tell
1: those people, send me your address, because I'm going to come check on you, and when you're dead, I'm going to dig up all your stuff. And I'm, <laughs> gonna
0: <take it>. yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you, but somebody will have already done the job.
0: Hey, uh, you'll, you'll make it on your own. <laughs> you'll, you'll make it, and I bet you do so well that you don't even live through it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's... But with with all that said, I mean we we definitely could banner back and forth about you know different different prepper topics, but one of the big ones you know the the big news of the day is Speaker Pelosi's visit to to Taiwan. Um, almost almost had a little Freudian slip there. Almost said visit to China. Um, depending on who you talk to, um, this this is very very interesting on multiple levels and i want to make something very clear to the radio contra audience out there both old and new alike um while i and, and i'm not going to speak for you joe but i'm fairly certain you feel the same way i am 100 percent without a doubt a died in the wool anti-communist i think that the communist chinese party or the communist chinese the chinese communist Party the communist Chinese, I think that they pose the most significant and generational threat to the United States from anywhere else in the world. That we have we have not paid attention to them for a very long time now, much to our detriment. And they are taking advantage of the situation. I applaud oh yeah, I, the
1: efforts. I agree, yeah. Go ahead.
0: I applaud the efforts to thumb the nose Of communist despots. Anywhere in the world. And on one hand. I do support. Get ready because hell just froze over. I do support. Speaker Pelosi's move. To go there. In spite of the threats. However. With that said. Going over the OSINT feed. Open source intelligence feed. On Twitter. And looking things over. Seeing these. These uh, pundits and different players, the K Street goons, right? This, the Beltway Bandit crowd of the neoliberal establishment coming out of D.C., immediately applauding all her efforts and saying that, com- that the communist Chinese are not a threat because she was allowed to land in Taipei and did not get shot down. That is no victory, okay? And I want to remind you people, You are less than a year, less than a year away from the greatest military disaster of modern times in your your failures. Okay, you own this, your failures in Afghanistan. And just because you killed Zarqawi, you popped him the other day, which you claimed you did back in 2020. So I don't know what the real story is. Is he running a gas station in Albuquerque, New Mexico? Who the fuck knows? Right. But the point is, is that. We have seen action now. And just because she did not get blown out of the sky and landed in Taipei does not mean a damn thing. Okay? It doesn't mean a damn thing. We have seen action. We have not seen reaction. Joe Dolio, your
1: reaction. That's it. You're right. They're not going to take action against us because that's not actually wise and there's not much they can do to us without a massive and overwhelming response to them. Um that being said, they can certainly punish the crap out of uh, Taiwan after she leaves. That's the point that we never get as Americans, right? We have such hubris that everywhere we go, we think that, ah, well, we're here. It's been done. The problem is over. But but the other side gets a say, and, and we're not always going to be standing on their land. Um, however, I'm going to take exception with uh, Admiral Kirby's statements yesterday when he said, we do not support Taiwanese independence. Guess what? Taiwan has always been independent. It has never once, not for a second, been under the control of the Chinese Communist Party. If we're going to talk about breakaway provinces, in all honesty, the breakaway province is mainland China. Taiwan has always been the Republic of China, and it's never been part of the PRC so it's not a breakaway they don't need independence because they already are
0: hundred percent 100 percent I think that, uh, that that Admiral Kirby's statements yesterday are really a confusing signal to the rest of the world I mean a- anybody that is educated at all on foreign policy. And I'm not just talking about American foreign policy, but every school that teaches international relations, every accredited university out there. And this is something that I'm fairly familiar with, that. That Taiwan has always been seen as one of the critical junctures of American foreign policy, them, Israel, and of course, Germany up until the close, West Germany explicitly up until the close of the Cold War. Those right. were the hot spots. Those were the places that American foreign policy would either be made or it would die. Okay. And now we have this this duplicitous message that's coming out of DC, that's going out to everybody in the international community, all the movers and shakers, the players, that wait a minute. You either have a, a time right now to make a stand as warrior diplomats or not. And I say warrior diplomat. I use that term explicitly and for a reason, because the diplomatic corps was at one time considered to be the pointy end of the spear. They were warriors. They were warriors always acting in the national interest. We don't have that anymore. We do not have that out of our diplomatic corps any longer. You know, and and so. It's a it's a grave problem that we have and the solution that uh, or the situation rather that's been created in the United States, one of which doesn't have a solution. But you have these guys like General Kirby out there who is a military man. He's a flag officer. This guy understands naval warfare. He, I, I would assume that he would at least have a cursory understanding of history and a bit of it in education on the region as well. Now, I might be giving the guy too much credit. He is a swamp creature. So who knows? He came out of the same place as Lloyd Austin and Milley. So, you know, not exactly the greatest of, of uh, hands there that our U.S. military has found itself in. But here he is. He's a state department spokesman and he's giving a duplicitous message to the world. Oh, well, you know, I mean, we're, 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 uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily support, uh, the speaker going there, but we don't necessarily not support it either. You know, either get a shit, either shit or get off the pot guy, figure it out.
1: Never, never in my life. Did I imagine I would hear the United States department of defense say, we don't support self-determination and freedom, and that's essentially what his statement uh, broke down to. All, over history and all over the world, the U.S. used to stand for the right to self-determination of peoples. Uh, the people of Taiwan have long said they don't want to be part of mainland China. So, uh, w- why would we? Why would we not support that? And. And I get it, we want to have strategic ambiguity, but his statement yesterday was not strategic ambiguity. It was straight up, nah man, we we don't support this. That's not I you're right, our our foreign policy died right there.
0: Right. And and as far as the CCP goes, that was definitely one of their objectives. And I would say that th- that objective was met, unfortunately. You know, un- unfortunately, that objective was met. They had an opportunity there. If if Kirby knew, and and were I in Kirby's shoes, and obviously I'm not, but you know, we do also have the bully pulpit that that we've created for ourselves here. We're people of inf- influence as well. And, and were I in Kirby's shoes, I would say, you know, hey, yeah, she's going to Taiwan. The speaker is going to Taiwan. We support freedom, and we support the freedom and sovereignty of people all across the world. End of statement. End of statement. I would have got one hundred percent behind that. I just, you know what? Hey, I, you know, I'm not a fan of this guy for political reasons, but you know what? That's that's American foreign policy. That's putting politics aside for the good of the nation and saying, yeah, we're doing this. We're committed to it do something about it or don't do something about it. But this is the determination that we have. This is a resolve that we have to remain free and that the people under our protectorate, our partners, our allies in the world, they are going to remain free as well. And, you know, again, that didn't happen and you have another weak need response out of uh, secretary of state Blinken, right? Winking, blinking, and nod, this guy's, his only answer is, is well, if pushed, we'll resort to nuclear weapons. Uh, that yeah. That's your answer? That's kind of pigeonholing your response there.
1: Meanwhile, he's jumping on a plane to the Baltics to wave the war flag, right? Um, because killing the right kind of Europeans right. is way cooler, right?
0: Well, you, when whenever you've got uh, Newland in your ear and you have the neocons in your ear— you have the architects of, of the Balkanization of, of Yugoslavia. And I'm not saying that everything that happened there was good, but we certainly with a, a, uh, 2020 hindsight, we certainly made a bigger mess of the region than we did offer stability. And that's a fact. And
1: anybody that, know, that, argues that even goes that, to, that even goes to the forces that are deployed today. So if you historically analyze the, the Balkanization of the Balkans, um, The number one issue that started it was the treatment of Serbs by the ethnic Albanian police. And the complaint that um, uh, Milosevic used to get elected was that the ethnic Albanian police were controlled by the Italians, which created this problem. Who do we have deployed right now conducting policing operations in the Serbian areas of Kosovo? italian carabinieri we have done we've learned nothing from the history here and that's why we're at the same spot we were then we're 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 not thinking things through and nato is not really uh this isn't really a nato role it shouldn't be the right the right spot for them so
0: no no absolutely not it's it you know we made a mess in ukraine one that is unwinnable. Even Zelensky is making statements as today, right? He's making statements on our state media that at the moment, at the moment, they have no way of winning, right? And so they're going to start seeking a negotiated settlement, which is something that they should have done for a long time now. But that's another story. Um, but but here we have it, right? They're, they're immediately going to shift the goalposts yet again. And now we're going to start something else, another escalation with NATO, This is this is really getting into the territory of of absolute ridiculousness here, but we didn't win. The the thing is, we did not win the last conflict. We did not win the conflict before that. We didn't win the conflict before that. We haven't really actually won anything since World War Two. Everything else that we've done, every military action, every diplomatic action we've taken has resorted in uh some sort of tie or some sort of long-term protracted truce and we're not actually winning there's nothing functional about any of this there's nothing that's long-term stable about any of this and even I think that the um, stage knows it
1: i think that any situation that occurs with china in the next few days would be somewhat similar to praying slash earnest will uh between the u.s and iran in the gulf when uh when on praying mantis in a, in a period of 24 hours, we put a serious, uh, shwacking on the Iranian Navy, but I, I don't think it would go nearly as well for us, uh, as we did. That's the closest thing to a fleet action we've had since world war two. And it wasn't even a fleet action. It was more of a fleet skirmish. Right. And, um, while we won it, it, it was, it was entirely one-sided. You can't, you can't say that the, uh, Iranian Navy is a world-class Navy, uh, like China is. And and I had a guy argue with me yesterday about China doesn't have a world-class Navy, blah, blah, blah. Listen, underestimating the people's liberation army Navy is a silly thing to do because while they might not be as good as the U S or the Russians or the UK, they are good and they can field a massive fleet and they can get us with numbers. So we can't go into this all thinking, Oh, well it would just be a, it'd be a slaughter. Yeah, it might be a slaughter, but not the one you thought it was gonna be.
0: Well, he, here's the thing about that. Is you know, the Japanese said the same thing about the United States going into World War II. Yeah. The the, the difference maker was the ability to manufacture replacements. We do not have that capability. Okay. And and anybody that thinks that we do, the Bonholm Richard incident alone proves you know the the sabotage the intentional destruction of the uss bonhomme richard that proves that we do not have that capability any longer okay the chinese on the other hand built a native aircraft carrier on their own in the span of 18 months they have two more that have been laid down and are nearing completion okay we can say whatever we want the military pundits you know, the, 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 um, uh, the drive and, you know, all, all these guys out there that are, you know, on, uh, outlets of the military industrial complex, they can say whatever they want. Okay. But logistics are what they are. And if I can build something that overcomes and surmounts my losses faster than you can, then I win. Okay. That's exactly what happened in world war Two. It was our logistics capability and our capacity for manufacturing, which we no longer have. OK, Correct. anybody with a, anybody that's that is a uh, that understands things in the big picture and has been paying attention knows that this is the case. OK, the other thing is that China now has two of their own native carrier strike groups that are now out. OK, they're out. They're deployed in the region. They went out last night. I reported this on AmericanPartisan.org. It was coming from some Chinese sources that uh, I continue to monitor from from uh, open source intelligence channels. And there it was. OK, there it was. And so cross referencing that with a couple other sources. Then Chinese state media turned around and confirmed it as well as Taiwan. OK, they're all confirming this. So they've got two that are out there. Here's the, other, here's the other wild card. Hypersonic missiles. What is our defense against hypersonic missile systems? We don't have one. Okay, we do not have one. We do not have that ability. Oh, and here's the other thing. The Russians. The Russians are the wild card in this. They have deployed their entire fleet of Bore A submarines. You know, where are they right now? Okay. They're obviously not exclusive to the the Black Sea. They're not exclusive to the Baltics, right? They have a whole Pacific fleet that is submarine heavy. Okay, because that is that is their structure. That's their force projection structure. And what do you think they've been training to do since the close of the Cold War? Take out the United States carrier strike group. That's exactly what they've been training for. Now, where have we spent our money? Has it been on anti-submarine warfare or has it been on these these very expensive boondoggles you know bridges to nowhere projects that don't work programs that that are failures this self-licking ice cream cone in the military industrial complex they've sold us out they have sold us out now I know that some people out there are gonna listen to this I guess oh, you know yeah but we have this technology we have that yeah okay well if we look at the the tests the successful tests, that both the Russians and the Chinese have conducted in just the past 12 months and the failures that uh, of those same tests of our counterpart, right, our hypersonic missile systems, our advanced next level weapon systems at sea, our force projection capability. You can't tell me with a straight face, oh, well, you know, there's some things we just keep classified still. No, there's not. OK, it's time for you to wake up and get into the 21st century we're in yeah. a, we're in a hell of a lot of trouble. And we're seeing the opening act of this right now.
1: Well, I'll tell you, the proof of proof of that is uh, when allegedly North Korea fired that hypersonic glide vehicle uh, towards us and we freaked out and we issued that ground stop on the airplanes. So we all know that that wasn't actually a North Korean device. The North Koreans are just the ones who put it in the air right? You know, it came from north of the border. And that caused the panic bells all over Washington, D.C. We have never, not even on September 11th, issued an immediate land order like we did, right? They were told to get to the next airport and land. When that missile went off, it was an immediate land and hold. So um, I I think that We were playing that game. We're going to build all these new first strike weapons. And then somebody had one better than ours. And we realized how far behind we were, just like you pointed out. And, um, I think that those fleets have been working not only on the ability to sink a carrier battle group, but also to interdict everything that that carrier battle group needs to survive, right. In order to shut off its supplies. Um, I said the other day, um, when we first started moving the Ronald Reagan towards Taiwan, I said, "Yeah, you know what? We move the we move carriers all the time, and that's more of a of a foreign affairs thing, not really a military thing." I said, "What to watch for is when we start moving amphibious readiness groups. Once you start moving battalions of Marines around, it's real." Well, yesterday we started moving two amphibious readiness groups from from Japan towards Taiwan. So, uh, I think we're taking it seriously. But uh, I don't really know where this is going to go and and there's a, a thing that came out while we were talking that the the People's Liberation Army now says it's going to do uh live firing tonight east of Taiwan, so that may effectively trap her on the island in all honesty
0: and or that wild. that's kind of my breakdown of it that that's I think that with this announcement that's certainly what it looks like. It looks like a double envelopment to me um yeah. now, how do you safely exit? What safeguards does she have? Um, you know, oh, oh, you, you were going to go somewhere? No, you ain't. You ain't going nowhere. Do something. Um, you know, what about Kinman Island?
1: Well, I, I, I see Kinman Island as sort of the Donetsk and Luhansk region, right? So I said at the beginning of, of the Ukraine war, before the invasion, when everyone's talking about, nah, they're not really doing anything. It's just Putin saber rattling, much like we're seeing right now out of China. I said, nah, he can't let this go by without at least blacking somebody's eye. He's got to strike somewhere. He might lash out from Donetsk. He might, might seize Odessa. He's going to do something, right? And sure enough, he did to open the war. And I think that's where we're at now. So, they put out a pretty good TV spot to their citizens last night about red lines being drawn, and if and if you know America decides to cross them, things might happen. And it was very. Very militant video. I don't I don't know if you saw it. It was all in Chinese, but it was it was pretty serious. So at this point, the Americans have crossed that red line. If Xi does nothing, then he loses face. And and in the Asian world, that's that's the end of you, right? So he can't lose face. He's gonna have to do something. It might be take the Kidman Islands, which are actually way closer to China than Taiwan. And um, they they make sense He's moving a lot of troops in that area uh, I've been watching videos all day Of armor on the move in Fujian province um, Along with ballistic missiles and, and, and rocket artillery And all of that kind of stuff And what else is of note Is that they've got SU-35s Flying in the straits today As opposed to the J-20 The yep. J-20 has been known to have Some technological issues And is inferior to anything we could put out But the SU-35 is not So, interesting. Yep. What are your thoughts on the the island?
0: I think Kinman Island's getting took. You know, it's the safe bet for a lot of reasons. Is the United States, here's the fundamental question, is the United States going to risk an all-out war over Kinman Island? And that answer is no. Okay. Is this administration more prone to appeasement than all-out force and strategic deterrence. And we all know that answer, okay? We all know that answer. Doesn't it, It's it's a rhetorical question, but everybody knows. Everybody with a brain knows left, right, doesn't matter, okay? They're geared towards appeasement. They're going to appease them. They're going to say, you know, okay, that's Kinmen Island's a blow-off valve. We are willing to accept that loss, right? right. China, meanwhile, the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, the military leaders, the PLA, because you got to keep in mind that Xi Jinping, while he is a popular leader inside of China, the way that the communist Politburo works is that everybody now is jockeying for a new job. Everybody. And in the military, in the hierarchy of the People's Liberation Army, the heads there, if they are a little unhappy with things, they're going to remind him, that you are also the head of the military. And if you do not act, because they understand, like we used to understand in the West, that the military strength and that projection of power, the ability to do that, is reflective of the strength of your nation and of your culture and of your people. And that is of utmost importance to them, that, that code of honor. And so they're going to remind Z that you will do this or else you will get gone. If you think that you can't, you think that you're untouchable where you are, you have our loyalty until the day that you don't, right? And so they yep. all understand this from, from a, a standpoint of pragmatism, because this is exactly how I would function, right? They know that the world is not going to be willing to go to war over Kinman Island. They know that they can take Kinman Island. He can give the order to take Kinman Island, and that is going to be the safe bet. The West is going to have a minimal reaction. Your John Kirby's of the world are going to have egg on their face. Here it is. Great Navy Admiral, the greatest Navy in the world, the most, uh, you know, uh, his, his most exalted, celebrated military leaders. And for what? Now you have egg on your face. Now we took something from you and there isn't anything that you can do about it. To me, this looks like the, the best move that they're, they're going to make. Um, strategically, it's a win for China, for the United States. We're going to continue this, this whole, uh, appeasement, much like Neville Chamberlain, right. And, and the whole yeah. idea of the Sudetenland and, and giving way to Adolf Hitler, right. That's exactly what they're going to do here. Now, the wild card is Taiwan's response. That's my estimation. What is Taiwan going to do? What is Taiwan going to do about this? I'm already seeing over on Twitter that um, there is going to be some encroachments, looking like there's some some pretty serious encroachment that's about to occur um, on uh, the, the Taiwanese territorial waters themselves. Uh, when when China begins this uh, live fire exercise, it's going to envelop the island. Um, so what is their response going to be? Is is there naval forces going to lash out at the People's Liberation Army Navy? Is there going to be some sort of strike? Because <laughs> that and that's something, bless you, that, that I don't necessarily have an answer for. Um, but most likely course of action, we're going to see something. We're going to ex- see an exchange of, of naval gunfire one way or another. But I do think that the Kenman Islands is about to get taken.
1: Well, see, I, I've said all along that, that if a war kicks off, a legit war, it's going to be some sort of an incident at sea that touches it off. So, Kinmen Island is, is six miles from mainland China. It's like 120 from Taiwan. So, it's really impossible for, for Taiwan to force reinforcements over 120 miles of water. That's going to be tough for them. Um, now there'll probably be a little bit of skirmishing between the Taiwanese and the, and the, and the, and the PLA Navy. But the problem we have is, is is one of our ships going to get caught up in the middle of that. And that'll be the thing that draws us in. But I honestly think that we've already done the calculus and we probably have an accepted number of losses that, that we're willing to take um, and, and still appease China. Um, gone are the days of nine 11, where if say, God forbid China sinks the Reagan and we lose, I don't know, 5,000 people in a day. Um, gone are the days when Americans will band together and say, let's go get those suckers. Um, half of America will cheer it on and say, we deserved that. And the other half will say, let's go get them. And it will cause more and more civil strife here. Um, you know, this is all part of a bigger campaign, I think. So we're learning today uh, in reading the indictments of the guys from the Black Hammer um, Black separatist group and the Uhuru movement, that at the heart of it all was an FSB agent that was fomenting all of their actions and providing them with funding. Um, I think that you'll also see within uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa themselves, either FSB agents or Chinese MSS agents funding that disorder because that helps them with their Ukrainian and their Taiwanese campaigns. Um, these are not standalone incidents. Uh, I think that the timing has never been better for China to make a play towards Taiwan, even if it is only taking one part of it. Um, because they know that America has zero leadership and zero political will to prosecute a war. So, um, I don't know. I I think that we'll see some sort of skirmishing. I just don't know what level our involvement will be in it. Um, I don't It's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, and, and it is very interesting, too, that, that you know, you, you bring up these two uh, black nationalist groups. And, you know, I know that you've been on top of this for a long time. as We've talked about it in previous podcasts that, that they're now being declared Russian assets. Uh, now, whether they actually are or not, you know, is anybody's guess, given the, the track record of the FBI here is it's rather uh, checkered. Uh, itself. No, but, no, I know. <laughs> no way. No way. But with that said, I don't doubt it. Okay. I absolutely don't doubt it. You know, we, we saw this with, with uh, the white nationalist movements as well. You know, uh, Richard Spencer was, if that guy wasn't a Russian asset, he had all the warning signs there. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he definitely, I mean, he was married to a Russian national. That's, you know and I'm not one to, to play into the whole Russia 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 thing. okay but what I am willing to say is is that it would be very stupid of us to say that there is not a concerted effort at destabilization on part of other assets, right, other right. A- ex- right. extranational assets that are out there. And of course, Russia is one. That's been a long-term goal of theirs. Um, You know, here in in the United States, I wouldn't be surprised to find a substantial amount of Antifa having communist Chinese support. I mean, we know that academia and and academic institutions, which have fomented and groomed Antifa activity in all 50 states, all right, they also have a concerted effort at, at, uh, at, at getting Chinese communist interests fomented here in the United States as well. And a lot of that is coming out, you know, wherever you have a Confucius Institute, you have a lot of academics, you know, of, of every ethnicity that have been working and are getting now exposed as being working for Chinese communist party interests. So this is going to be very interesting too, now that, that a lot of the Chinese stuff and, and this conflict, this looming conflict is coming to a head, where are those people going to break down? I mean, are, are, are they going to all of a sudden, uh, you know, pick the side of, of being pro-America, you know, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, renounce all their communist sympathies and their praise for Mao and, and everything else that we've seen coming out of academia? What is it that they do? I mean, I think that they have a, a crisis of conscience coming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. I, I I just think that everything is coming to a head right now. And um I said this last night. This must be what it felt like in nineteen thirty nine or you know, nineteen fourteen, right? Seeing all this stuff happen and uh it's just uh it's we're in a wild time.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed, and it it's you know it, uh, partying like it's 1939, man. It it's, <laughs> <laughs> um, man, I I I tell you, uh, everything, everything is is all the the kaleidoscope of of intersecting factors. I think is is very fascinating, uh, for a lot of reasons, and and it's it's certainly what we're seeing. So let's shift gears a little bit. Where, where do you see things going on the big scale? Where where do you see? So we've already talked about Taiwan and, and all the flashpoints there. Where do you see maybe North Korea factoring into this?
1: I think that North Korea is the world's biggest opportunist. And I think that, that uh, Kim will come out and make a statement in support of whatever action China does, uh, while at the same time you probably some see some sort of an artillery exchange um, like we've seen in the past between South Korea and North Korea to test the waters. Um, South Korea has already committed themselves to the defense of Taiwan, as has, Jap- as, has Japan, but you'll never see Japanese troops... In Korea, and you'll probably never see them on the island of Taiwan either. So, uh, those are all like empty promises. But if the rest of the world is distracted, Kim will do something, uh, even if it's just like I said before, to blacken the eye of the new South Korean president, who is very much a war hawk uh, against North Korea. And if he sees an opportunity to take an island, just like China did, I I, I don't see Kim not doing it. I just don't know which islands.
0: the you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I thought you'd faded out. I said, uh, what what is the best advice that you have? For people right now?
1: Listen, this is the same advice I've been given all year long. Um, we already have shortages of food. Uh, it's not crop time yet in America, and we're going to be grossly disappointed when it comes. Americans are never going to starve, but you just might not be able to afford the food. Uh, well, let, let me rephrase that. Americans are never going to have food unavailable. You just might not be able to afford it. That's a better way to put that. So I would say this stockpile food while you can, stockpile seeds while you can. Um, And maybe wean yourself a little bit off of technology. In all honesty, China cannot defeat us in a conventional military attack here in America. But what they can do and relatively easily is turn off the lights and let us kill each other uh, or starve each other out. Uh, that enables them to come over and take what resources they want, which has been their way, uh, and let them uh, take advantage of all of the land they've already bought here. So I would prepare myself for disruptions in a cyber world and more disruptions in the food world.
0: Agreed, 100%. Uh, you know, it, it, given the vulnerabilities, to the grid given the vulnerabilities uh, uh, that, that we know and, and the, just what we've seen, the, the degradation of critical and vital services. And the you know people that, that are now unemployed, the economic crunch that is looming on us. Uh, man, again, to say that we're in a lot of trouble is, is kind of a uh, trope, but at the same time, dude, it, I mean, it's a thing. Uh, we, we are, we're, we're really on the cusp of all of this. Um, (laughs) you know, and, and that getting, getting better prepared, but that, you know, on top of that is getting out and training, you know, It it is is getting that training brushfeeder.org slash training calendar, get in there, you know, just, just in the past 24 hours, just in the past 24 hours, I have had 10 people, 10 people. Wanting to get into the classes that I have on the calendar for this month, 10, 10 new people. Now, whether they can make it or not, it's a different, different story. I don't know if I can squeeze them all in. I'm trying to work them in. Right. But 10 people that are wanting to come out. That's huge. In 24 hours, that's huge. You know, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but folks, these were already full classes. Okay. And, and they're saying, Hey, you know, we want to get in there. I mean,
1: and you know what? It's vitally important that people actually do this because it's one thing to buy books and watch videos and, and talk on the internet about what a tough guy you're going to be. It's another thing when the lights go out and you're like, oh man, I got to establish an OP on that highway interchange yeah. right now. And I don't know, have a clue how to do it.
0: I got to right? do this. And I, I got to do this. You know, it's always, always when the weather's bad. You always got to do this oh, yeah. when the weather's bad. When it when it's an austere environment, when it sucks, when you don't want to do it, when it's wet, it's hot, it's humid, it's cold, it's raining, it's snowing, it's whatever, right? I'm telling you, you know, the Chinese ability to cause chaos here in the United States, for all the people, the D.C. Politburo and everything else, all the people that out there, they're, oh, you know, China's not a big of a deal. I'm, I'm going to tell you again. We have seen action. We have not seen reaction. I want to remind you that they own a substantial portion of our entertainment industry, that the NBA, that Mr. LeBron James out there, right? Oh, yeah. You know, going to lecture all of us about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. The guy bowed to the Communist Chinese Party. Okay, He bowed to them. All right. Literally bowed to them. So. You know, they they own the largest propaganda transmitter in the northern hemisphere just south of our border. They have an incredibly huge and very dangerous level of influence with all of the governments, the state level governments on the West Coast. They have their agents who have penetrated the very top of the Democrat hierarchy. What more do you need, folks? I, I mean, they've got land
1: at the end of all of our major military bases. Ask yourself why.
0: <laughs> why? You know, Huawei. Huawei is another one. The episode I did with Badman Actual just a week ago. Go back and listen to that. If you want to know how bad this situation can get and can get in a hurry, these are just the things that we know about, folks. This is just what we know about. Not the stuff that we don't. Right. And so at a strategic level, comparing knowns versus unknowns and generating those RFIs for the unknowns, it it, the sense of urgency needs to be there. All right. Take your training seriously, take your preparedness seriously, take yourselves seriously. Even if the only level of training you can get right now is to get out there on the road and start pounding pavement, make yourself a little bit better and a little more prepared because it starts with your fitness. OK, get yourself a little bit more prepared today than you were yesterday. All right. And and I don't know how else I can put that. I don't know how else I can put that. But, you know, coming in right at an hour, Brother Joe, it is always, 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 always an honor and, and always entertaining uh, to get you in here because I love getting your opinions on stuff. I mean, you're obviously a brother of like mind. And uh, I I love to have you on. How can people follow you on Twitter?
1: All right. So at Twitter, you can find me uh, at DolioJ. So I'm over there. I'm on all the other social medias. I'm not going to throw them all out here. But you can find me. I'm not a hard guy to find. You can also find me at uh, tactical-wisdom.com. I just wrote an article up there yesterday about um, how the left is trying to outlaw Christianity. So you might want to take a look at that. That's a pretty solid article. Uh, And you can find... I'm sorry.
0: Great article. Great article. Thank
1: you, I saw you were the first person to like it, so I thought that was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah, man. You can find my books there on my website. Um, they're a little bit more, a uh, little more expensive, and take a little longer from my website, but they do come signed. Uh, or you can find them on Amazon.
0: Amen, brother. And you can follow Radio Contra, AmericanPartisan.org. Of course, we got banned for a little while. That's okay. Uh, We had a pretty big following before we got banned. Hey, things happen. Twitter going to do what it's going to do. But we are back on Twitter. I am running the account personally. I'm up there. You can find me at Brushbeater or Brushbeater Actual for the screen name, but at Brushbeater. Definitely give it a follow. Give it a like. And you're going to find all of the content coming up from Radio Contra, AmericanPartisan.org, BrushBeater, all the stuff that I'm doing. And I got some very exciting projects that are coming out. I know, I know, working with the IT folks, some of y'all out there saying, man, I've been hearing this for about a month now. Where is it at? Well, folks, just bear with me, okay? I'm I'm, I'm juggling chainsaws over here, so got to got a, got a whole lot of irons in the fire, but, um, we are getting things done. Progress is being made slowly, but surely. And I will promise you that great things come to all those who wait. So without further ado, brother, God bless you. Uh, thank you for being on again.
1: Absolutely. Anytime
0: folks. Thank you for being with us yet again. Another episode And we will be back on the air very, very soon. This is NC Scout out.